Hi there. Thank you for connecting with me and subscribing to Living the Sky Life podcast. I hope that the content of each episode brings you hope, connection, and some valuable takeaways. The Special Needs Parenting Village is large, so you should never feel like you have to travel this journey alone. Please connect with me through my Living the Sky Life Facebook page or Instagram account. And let's keep this conversation going after each episode airs. Thanks again for tuning in for season two of Living the Sky Life. Today's podcast guest is such a forward thinker and also as inspirational as so many of the guests I've had on. Julie Hornock focuses a lot of her time and energy on supporting not only just special needs children, but the parents and especially the mothers who care for them. Julie has over 15 years of autism industry experience as a parent, nonprofit founder, behavioral program facilitator, global interviewer, speaker, and award-winning author of the book United in Autism, Finding Strength Inside the Spectrum. Her daughter, Lizzie, was diagnosed with autism at the age of two, and as her daughter made good progress, Julie poured up her free time and energy into providing emotional support and community-building events for special needs moms throughout her nonprofit, Labeled and Loved. Please welcome Julie Hornock to Living the Sky Life. So today's episode of the podcast, I have the pleasure of chatting with another incredible mom who is making an impact in the lives of special needs families and has for quite a number of years. So please welcome Julie Hornock. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I'm so glad we finally got to connect and um, I'm pumped about Labeled and Loved coming up and I know we'll talk a little bit about that. Um, but just meeting you in person and all the other incredible moms that I've met virtually. So uh, I'm really excited for all the things to come. Hopefully 2020 is better than 2021 is better than 2020 when it comes to scheduling things. Gosh, what a mess. I know. Let's hope so. (laughs) It has to be, right? Yeah, I hope so. Um, well, I'm doing this uh, second series or second season of the podcast, and I'm doing a um, author and autism mom kind of combination to kick off the season. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to um, speak with you now at this point, because you are all of those things. You are an autism mom, you're an author, and a bunch of other hats that you wear. So I'd like to kind of start out by chatting about your video blogging that you started back in 2007. I think you kind of referenced that it was blogging before blogging was really a thing. So, um, so tell me a little bit about why you started to, to blog about your daughter, Lizzie, and just autism when she was so young. Yeah, it was a long time ago, and it was a, not a platform that was well used back then yet. But so she was diagnosed when she was just days after her second birthday, and Lizzie was very affected when she was young. She didn't have any language. She j- did gibberish all day long. She had stemmed all day long, um, lots of sensory integration issues, no no awareness of the world at all, no awareness of danger, um, didn't answer to her name. I mean, lots of people have a different experience for girls, but she was classic. And mm-hmm. it was it was really hard as a mom to feel you have a connection with your child and then that connection disappears. So I went from her looking me in the eyes and really playing with her to her just kind of going inside herself. And mm-hmm. I mean, I was heartbroken. It was like, it was slow in a process over many, many months. But at the same time, whenever I realized it, I couldn't reach her. It was just really, really hard on me. And I really needed to see 
that another child had gone through this and then came out of it, if that makes sense. And I, I searched hard and long to find somebody. I just wanted to see someone that was okay. I wanted to see another mom and I wanted to find out what they did. And I searched to the ends of the earth where I saw a newspaper article of a woman in Kentucky and she had a child that sounded like mine. And then she was now like on the swim team in high school. And I tracked her down through the newspaper, called her, talked to her. She was so nice to talk to me, but I was, I mean, I was desperate. I saw a woman, a little girl in church one time that was walking on her tiptoes and kind of had similar behaviors. And I followed her like a, like crazy Mm -hmm. stalker trying to find until she got to her mom and then just asked to talk with her mom. So it was really like just a deep need for hope. Um, and it's it just a very vulnerable place to be as a mom. And so when Lizzie started progressing and really skill by skill, I could tell things were coming along, her language is coming along. And then she started to engage with me again was the big thing. I wanted to put it out there for other parents because I knew if I had felt that desperation in needing hope, then somebody else needed that too. And so that was why I started, Hey, here's this little girl here's where we were at before. And look, this is what she's doing now. And it's possible for your child too. Mm-hmm. At what age did, did Lizzie start to show a little bit of um, interest in coming back to you and, and her skill level? So it's, it's funny how we set skills as, as parents and, yes. and really even as providers, like you're setting tangible skills. Like my, the skill I want you to do is I want you to say duck or the skill I need you to do is stack these blocks. Um, and so she started a intensive ABA program um, in our home right after she was diagnosed, like weeks after she was diagnosed. And it was 30 hours a week. And she started to show progress in skills right away. So once she understood the guidelines and what she was needing to do, it worked where she, her language was building. Um, but she was still at four years old, unable to have any type of back and forth with another person. And so she had these skills, she could get on the phone pretend to play on the phone and talk. But if another person got involved, she would just melt down and have nothing and walk away. Um, So when she was four, then we started different type of programming that really focused on the engagement. And that was when I started to see her kind of come out and be able to connect with me again. So it was a little bit after four years old. I mean, I don't feel, you know, kind of going back to what you were saying before of just looking for people, my Skylar is the same age as Lizzie. And so when our kids were diagnosed way back when, there really wasn't anything. And I kind of joke in my book about, you know, really there wasn't Facebook, there wasn't Instagram, there wasn't all of this stuff. And um, we were pretty far, not that far removed from dial-up at that point, dial-up internet. So it was so hard to find anyone. And I don't feel like people, well, I, I could pretty much say with certainty, people weren't as open back then as they are now with yep. so many people starting blogs and podcasts and, you know, groups that people can follow on Facebook and things like that, sharing everything that's worked, not worked uh, with each other. It's, I wish we had that because oh, no. like you, I would have stalked people that I saw with children on the spectrum and, and begged them to tell me what they did. Because you're always looking for hope, always looking for change. Yeah, the information just wasn't readily available. And you're right. People weren't talking about it. And autism comes with this double-edged sword of, you know, no one is saying, okay, your child will always be like this, you know, and 
everyone is saying, we don't know where it's going. And that in itself is a really hard thing to accept. So then if you don't know where it's going, how much do you really share with the world? Because if your child is judged now, you don't want them to be judged later. You don't want this to affect their life in the future. And so there's lots of decisions in even now what information we share about our, our kids because of how much they're aware and where we don't, there's so much unknown and we don't want yeah. to stunt their life in the future, you know, and have a stigma attached to them in the future if they don't need it. Yeah, absolutely. You, you had mentioned, um, I think in one of your blogs about, you know, wishing that if you could go back that maybe you had shown some of the videos of the struggles that you had. Do you, do you think that, or now do you kind of, are you glad that you didn't because like what you said, you know, with, Lizzie being a very active member of her community and doing all these things, would you have regretted that being out there or what's your feeling on that? I guess. Well, I can, all I can speak is for me specifically and Lizzie is very open and we talk freely about her, how she was back then because she does want to be an inspiration to others. She has said that often, you know, that she feels that she can help in this area and she wants to inspire others to keep going and to continue to go. So I, I do wish I would have shown just everything on that blog is like her best day. Do you know what I'm saying? And so I yeah, wish uh -huh. I would have been a little more realistic and, and shown just, just a little bit more of a spectrum of the days because most days were extremely hard. And when we got a glimpse of skill that was coming forth, it was like, I was showing that. And so I wish I would have shown all of it because everything, every video there's like, hours and hours of video before that where everything was going wrong. <laughs> so I don't, yeah. I don't ever, want, I don't ever want it to seem too easy because every little skill that she gained and every step that we have had with her, we have fought for, she mm -hmm. has fought for and she has worked hard for. And so have we, and it's never been one big thing where everything just, Oh, Hey, now she can hop in the car and drive. Like it was little tiny bit by bit over the process of the last 15 years since she was diagnosed. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, kind of moving into that with her teenage years, I know that she's driving and working and um, playing sports and cheering and doing all the, all the amazing things that you would have hoped for her when she was younger. Um, when it comes to driving, since I don't have experience with that, Skylar is much, much more, more severe. Um, and he will never drive. I I'm sure of that, but, um, it was a different process in working with Lizzie behind the wheel of a car. I mean, the way that she, <laughs> her concentration, I have another family that, um, lives near me that has a child that will be able to go get his permit soon. And, um, she's like, oh my gosh. I mean, we aren't even thinking about it or talking about it because his concentration is so poor. He could do the skills. I mean, he could drive a car, but I, I worry that he won't be focused enough to be able to safely drive a car. So was that an issue yeah. for you all or no? Um, yes. Yes. I, we didn't know until she actually started driving well, that it, if it was going to happen or not, we just didn't know. And I have parents ask me this a lot. Cause really when you get, when a child turns 16, it's like a rite of passage, right? So you want it for your kid, but really the first question is not even about driving. The first question is what are they driving to? And do you trust that they can handle the situations in between their destinations? Because there's a thousand of them. And, you know, if there is a, a wreck, if they decide to stop at Starbucks, you know, can they handle those situations alone? Can they be trusted to go where they need to be and to let you know when they get there? So though, once those questions are covered and you feel confident in your child's ability 
to go from one place to another successfully and have the ability to manage the unknown that comes up in the middle because there's lots, right? Um, so for Lizzie, once I was confident in that, um, we did start driving and I did it all wrong. And um, I, <laughs> I had, I had taught a year and a half before I had taught my oldest son to drive and he's my typical boy son. And he got in the car and kind of just drove. Um, and for Lizzie, we started in the neighborhood and she had immediate like executive functioning overload in her, <laughs> in her frontal lobe just went bananas because it was so much information. So she was go up on curbs. She ended up in a lawn. She, it was kind of like just a classic disaster. Um, so I pulled everything back and did what we did when she was younger and we broke it all down into very, very small steps. And we spent an entire, we went into a big giant parking lot of a stadium and we spent an entire hour session just working on only break and gas, break and gas. So you just break it down into that small thing. And then in keeping in mind, you don't tell our kids what not to do. You tell them what to do. So when she needed to stop, I wasn't saying stop because that's an extra step in their brain between stop and what they need to do. I would say break. Um, and so just really kind of adjusting it to fit what we know, how we know our kids learn well and through repetition and then through giving them positive language to help them act. Um, and she did pick it up. It, just took a lot longer. So we spent time on that skill. Then we worked on turning because that was another thing she would turn and then forget to turn back. Um, which <laughs> he was going to the donut. Yeah. Well, like that's not something you teach a typical child. Right. They automatically know the things that typical children automatically know to do. Our kids don't. And so they have to be taught. So before she drove to school, she drives 30 minutes to and from school now, but, but we probably did that drive every route of that drive a hundred times together, you know, because we are looking for any of the unknown things that could pop up and covering as many of them as we can. So she has a game plan. Um, and that's, that's what you have to do with our kids if it's going to be safe. And I mean, I'm still terrified every single day. <laughs> so it's, sure. not, it's not like I have like full confidence, you know, I'm nervous, but I, she's earned the right and she does it well. And she's smart out there and then teaching her, oh my goodness, teaching her, you know, it's not about being right or wrong ever because our kids are so rule oriented. It's not mm -hmm. about being right or wrong. It's about not getting in a wreck. So if you have to be, let somebody else be wrong to not get in a wreck, that's okay. You know, and so it's teaching a different train of thinking also. Yeah. Did she spend time in the car with her um, older brother, like going to school when he drove? Did she observe him and, or any of that? Or, or did that not, would that not have worked? Um, it, could have worked, but it was just mostly me. Her and I work really well together. Um, yeah. we, we just get each other. And so it was just easier for her, to, you know, I'm calm <laughs> and not in real life, but in that situation, you know, I can make myself calm and just talk to her the way she needs to be talked to. Because that's the other thing is if any emotion is elevated, then that sets off a, a fight or flight, which is not, is not good when mm -hmm. teaching. So it just has to be done in a certain way. And you just have to know your kid. And I didn't trust anyone else to teach her because no one else would be able to know her. So we really took yeah. a long time working through it and doing it together. Plus you'd probably not want your son to show her bad habits because <laughs> you probably <laughs> wouldn't even think about turning on the radio or whatever. And she'd be like, Oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> so I, I mean, we this first. <laughs> so. We had no talking for a long time. We had no radio for a long time. Yeah. And you know, slowly it's the main thing is just adding in one small thing so that 
executive functioning doesn't get overloaded. One, one little step, you know, now we're doing highway and now we've started to work on, okay, we've done really well on highway. So now we're working on highway at night. And so it's just adding one tiny thing at a time. And I think that just mirrors how our children learn and how we've taught them everything that has been successful, at least for Lizzie. Everything that's been successful, I've taught in small, tiny chunks. And um, we haven't added on until the one thing is understood and she's comfortable with it, you know. I think that's one of the biggest takeaways too for, for parents. They never stop, our kids never stop learning for one thing, but you know, it never, for me too, it never ends when the way that I have to instruct Skylar to do things. Cause like you said, it's telling them what to do and what not to do. And then we have to break down things for him, even into muscle groups. So instead of for years, I would say, sit down or whatever. And, and I've learned through a recent therapy that we started to say, you know, hips back, drop your knees or lift up your foot or things like that because of the way that they process things. Like you mentioned, you know, you can't just say a blind, you know, statement or make, have them do a certain skill without explaining exactly how to do that. And it's yeah. really hard to, it's been hard for me to retrain my thinking because I'm just so used to telling my neurotypical daughter, you know, go do this. And to say it the exact same way to Skylar, it's, he looks at me like he is so confused about what I'm saying because mm -hmm. he doesn't process it that way. It just, that just never, it tells me that with your daughter being 17, that that never ends. It'll be the next thing will, you know, I don't know what she'll experience next, but you'll still have to probably break the steps down a little bit to make um, it clearer. Yeah, I think so. And I, that is, I can see her getting overloaded. And when that happens, then we have to take a step back. Um, and everything is easier than it was when she's younger. She picks up things quicker. She is able to observe and generalize really easily now. And that wasn't always the case. And so you, every child is different. And like you said, your son, you have to actually break things down even with the muscles. And I think like, especially when we're thinking about teaching life skills to our kids, everything you start a, you start a skill five years before you want to use it. And so even if it's like laundry, well, you start one day with just picking out socks and grouping socks, you know, and then maybe for your child, you have to break that down even more. And it's, it's never fair, you know, that some kids, you have to break it down more than the others, but it, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter. It is what it is. You have to take your kid as they are and do the work that is required for them. And, and it is a very attainable skill, but it has to be taught in small little things with large, big picture goals, a million chunks in the middle, you know, and mm -hmm. that's the thing. It's hard to do. It's hard to stay with it as a parent um, when you're so busy with everything else and just trying to stay alive, you know, and get through the day and feed your kids. It's hard to do all of that. Yeah. It's hard for any parent, let alone adding this additional um, extra tasks of, of what we have to, to do with our, how we have to communicate with our kids on the spectrum. So um, I, I, I love that you, um, you know, not only advocate for Lizzie and, and our, you know, her primary, her primary focus is on getting her to the next level, whatever that is. But I, I love that, you know, years and years ago, you appreciated the need for, for moms um, and special needs parents to also, um, you know, have an outlet and have people to talk to that can relate to, as you mentioned early on, we didn't have anyone to, to seek out and to get advice 
for ourselves when our kids were young. So tell me if, if that is kind of what spearheaded a lot of your special needs moms events that you have, um, the emotional support events that you started, was it like 10 years ago or so that you came up uh, with that idea? Uh, I think it's been about 11 now. And wow. um, I mean, I really, like I told you before, I had this deep need for hope, but I also, that was the time when, when our kids are hurting as moms were hurting. And that was the time I think I felt the most vulnerable in my life. And, um, I don't, I just remember just how hard that time was of just hurting. And, um, I had a really amazing group of women that I pretty quickly got plugged in with, but I know that's not the case for everyone. And, um, I just, it, honestly, it's kind of my life's passion and my calling is to really help other moms that were in that situation and make sure they don't have to feel that way for long. And so I remember soon as I had the energy to do something else, cause you know, it's all encompassing with your child, but when mm -hmm. she got a little bit older, she was in school. Now she was doing a little better. All of a sudden I could breathe again. Um, I wanted to take that energy I had that I was putting on her and just help the other moms and pull them out from that place where they were of vulnerability and not having a connection. So we started just through a national organ or a national or local organization um, through Dallas area. We just started this event where moms could come and have a day off and we did it at a country club and they got a massage and we had an inspirational speaker and a really nice lunch. Um, and my idea was just, I want them to meet and I want them to just have a break. Like you need a break. You need to be around other moms that get it. Um, but I didn't realize how big the impact was going to be. And so we started doing these years and years, you know, every year. And I would have moms writing letters, you know, I'm here with my bestie that I met the first year you did this. And she's the only reason I'm still sane in this journey. And so the just understanding the importance of connection with somebody else that gets it was huge. It was life-changing for these women. And I'm like, well, we've got to reproduce that. <laughs> you know, We've got to do this more. And this is like so exciting to find something because I always have planned events and I love events and I love planning like a really fabulous party, but this is like a party with a purpose and it is changing lives. And so it's just meshing two things that I love so much to do and, and is enabling us to help women. So now, do you, did you start out just hosting them in your local area? And then um, I thought I saw where you could fill out a form and kind of request one of these mom events to be where you live locally too. Is that, yeah. is that so how you're then, doing it? Okay. Yeah. So that's how it started that way where we were just doing it through one organization in Dallas and but for like eight years. And then I ended up like the big thing with this is that they would go home in the evening, you know, after this fabulous event and this wonderful time. And I just had this vision of them going home and just being like, oh my gosh, I'm just back in it. Like I just felt free for like three hours. <laughs> and, you know, now I don't know if I can go on. And I really wanted a book that would just inspire them in small chunks because I wanted them to know that it is possible to have the hardest kid in the most foreign land where there is no support and still be okay in the journey. And so um, when I couldn't find the book anywhere and I searched for like five years for a perfect book and I just couldn't find it. And I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to write it. And so I started going and finding parents that were inspirational that seemed like they were helping others in their journey, but still had it really hard all over the world. So I interview people like in Ethiopia, Australia, Germany, um, gosh, Russia, 
Singapore, just everywhere I could think of that I could get connected with a mom that was, or dad, that was inspirational and had some wisdom to share on how to be kind of okay and how to survive this journey with happiness. And so I interviewed all of them and I put it into a book called United Autism, Finding Strength Inside the Spectrum. And so I have 30 stories in this book that every one of them showcases something hard in our lives that I know that all autism parents will relate to and everyone on the outside of the world, the providers and anyone who cares about someone with autism, it'll help them learn about our lives. And we don't gloss over the hard stuff. We talk about very hard stuff. Um, but some of them are, you know, crazy stuff, like the crazy things happen to us as, with our kids with autism. And so we go through some of those stories, but then it kind of goes through their process of how they get to where they begin helping others and where they've kind of found peace in the journey. And so you can read each one of these in like less than like five minutes. And I just pictured the autism mom just going back into their home and being just having a hard day and just hiding in the bathroom with a you know, some Oreos and like reading a story that will pick them up. <laughs> so did you, um, so how many years did you do these, um, these emotional support events for moms before the book came to be? Cause I think I remember you saying that, um, you know, like you said earlier, there wasn't anything like this and you wanted to kind of send them home with something. So, um, how far into that process of these events that you held that you came up with the idea for the book? like eight years. It took a oh, while. Yeah. yeah, it was well, like, I mean, eight, it's hard. <laughs> yeah. It took about eight years for me to be like, okay, I'm going to do this thing, you know? And, <laughs> and then to answer your earlier question, the book was what kind of opened the door to take these events other places, because then I really knew the work I wanted to do was this, this yeah. was, you know, when you find your space in all of this, you know, where it is. And I felt confident in being able to provide that for moms. And so that was when we started going to other different cities with different, and I would always partner with a organization that was local so that we could give them a space to continue to belong. So my goal was kind of more like event planting where I go in and I teach them how to do this wonderful event for the moms and then they can carry it on and continue to like love on that community and then I can go somewhere else. And yeah, there was a place, there's a place on my website to request it. And, um, I got one, from a army base in Kansas. And that's the next one we're going to do next year. Everything that's got cool. People. Yeah. And it turns out there's 200 women or families with living with autism on this base and they don't know each oh my other. Gosh. And that was really, me, yes. I was just heartbroken. I'm like, Oh my gosh, you guys don't know each other. Like you, that is like a double bubble of needing this support. So I'm so honored that we get to go to this space and provide this awesome event for these women. Um, so I'm really excited about that, but that was just through the website. Sometimes I just meet people and I'm like, okay, I feel like we got to go, we got to do this. And that was one of them, which I'm really, really excited about. Yeah. Does your, um, event, um, have a name? Is it United in autism or is it something else? It was United in Autism Moms Events, but now I am so excited. So, you know, this whole COVID situation has changed right. everything. And so because we had to take a step back, couldn't do any of the events for so long. It's been six months, you know, mm -hmm. and I took time to revamp where we, I partnered with four really amazing powerhouse women that love this community hard and we yeah. all combined together and we formed labeled and loved. And so the new nonprofit that we are doing these events through is labeled and loved. And it is 
so incredible to bring all this wisdom into one room and wisdom and fun and understanding, mm -hmm. you know, it just, it adds to it so much. And then of course we're doing the weekend long retreat that we get to do in October. We said October, actually it's in April now. It got moved from yeah. October to April. April yeah, 9th. because of COVID. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's pretty cool that we get to do that for a whole weekend for moms. And it's, that was that one of the, uh, we always get feedback after the events. Cause I just, I believe in just every time making it better. And the, one of the biggest things was, I wish this was longer. And I'm like, oh, well, we can make it longer. We can do a retreat. Like, why not? You know? So we're, that's what we're doing. And it's in San Antonio, Texas on April 9th through 11th. So we're really yep, excited. On the Riverwalk. Lisa mentioned it on her episode too. And um, I linked up to her show notes, but I will link it up to yours as well. The, um, the form for people to fill out. Is it maxed out yet? Do you have total? We still have some space. Um, okay. And it is going to be incredible. We have, it's really all about finding yourself and then connecting with others. It's those two things that we want to hit. And it's really hard for us because we don't think of ourselves as moms. I mean, we are meeting the every need of everyone else around us, especially our child with special needs. And it is open to all moms of all special needs and not just autism, but we are excited to be able to help each and every mom find themselves a little bit and kind of find their old passions and maybe get those flaming again. And then meeting other people that get it. There's such power in just talking with someone that you don't have to explain your story. They already lived your story. So you get to just start from right now, which is a really cool feeling. And they're not going to judge you for wearing your, like, I feel like we all have the genes that were popular, like when our child was diagnosed and we haven't bought any clothes. since then. <laughs> That's <laughs> so, funny. They're not going to judge you for that. You can have your, you know, 2002 jeans or whatever it is. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I'm so anxious to go. I'm, I'm, there's so many, um, podcasting friends that I know from this, but I've never physically met. So, um, we are all, you know, going to head there and, um, partake in all the activities. I, I just can't wait to meet everyone. And, and you're right. It's so nice to have someone to relate to. Um, and, and I learned so much just from the guests on the podcast, but being face to face with other families and other moms, there are so many things that I feel like I'm beating my head against the wall, trying to figure out with Skylar. And they may say, you know, we tried this, you could try this. And I mean, it might actually help us something I hadn't even thought of. So just sharing ideas with people live will be so great. So yeah, we did. have it set for every, after every big session, we all break up in small groups and we have broken them up so strategically where you will end up in a group with a child like yours. And it, that is going to be so invaluable for the information that's going to come from that. And I, I love that everything, you know, every, every, if you've been in this journey five minutes, you have something to share. And so we have new moms, we have moms that have been at this for 30 years that are going to be there. We have just it's just a room full of wisdom and, and w women willing to share it, you know, which is just, I can't express how beautiful it is to walk into that room and just feel like everybody gets you, you know, it's just a different thing that you've never experienced before. Uh -huh. Absolutely. So are you, um, working on, I read on your website, I think you're working on another book, um, called normal is boring. Can you talk a little bit about that or is that top secret? Sure. <laughs> oh no, I can talk about it. It's, it, it's very much in the works. Um, Lizzie, so Lizzie's now 17. And when she was about, I want to say 10 or 11, she started saying things and it was like, I think she had noticed before, but she didn't have the 
just a language to share it. And she started saying things like, um, you know, my brain is different. Um, I, I don't have the same brain as my friends. And she just, I, she was feeling very different and she didn't understand it. And we had never talked with her about autism because it was never a secret or anything. It's just, we hadn't talked specifically about what it meant for her life um, because we didn't know how much she could understand. And I didn't want to do it prematurely. And I always wanted it when I explained it to her, I wanted it to be a positive thing where, you know, this is not, this is just part of who you are. This is not who you are completely, you know? So I, when I was explaining it to her, um, I put together a personalized book and the book went through just what autism was kind of what happened in her life, how I explained to her, okay, you have, you were playing with mom and dad and your brother, and then something happened and you stopped playing with them. And then we had to do all this therapy. Um, but then I went over like what autism was in very simple terms, um, and had pictures of her throughout everything to keep her interest, you know? And then I told her what autism meant for her life, what it, what things that would make easier because like she has some gifts that make things easier for her like and she can get up on stage without being nervous things like that and then what things would be harder like social situations making friends that kind of thing and then what things were going to be the same and i think whenever you look at it the opportunities for our kids are going to be the same and she needed to know and hear that she needed to know that she could still get married she could still go to college she could still do all these things if she wanted you know not that they were required just that if she wanted and then the second half of the book was probably like 30 people that she knew from her life. I had them put, we put a picture of them and we had them write how Lizzie had inspired them. And I wanted her to know that just by being her, just by working every day and fighting every day that she was inspiring others to be their best selves. And so I put together this book and it was a grieving process for her. I'm telling you, it took an entire year we always think of like our grieving process as parents. Like we have to come to terms with what our life looks like. <laughs> but when people, when our kids with autism realize they're different and they have a disability, they have to grieve being normal. And um, that is something that just blew my mind to understand because I never had thought of that. I was so busy thinking of myself, which is so selfish, you know, and she was going through this herself. She didn't want to be, she didn't want to have a disability. And so she flat out went through a grieving process and it went through all the stages. She went through a stage where she wanted nothing to do with any person that had a disability. She didn't want to have anything to do with them. She was mean to them. And it was really hard. And then she kind of came to acceptance and really decided I'm going to use this to better the world. And I'm, I want to inspire people by working through life with autism. Um, so that basically it's that book plus then a template for other parents to do this for their children. Um, and ours is very faith-based because of who we are, um, but it has been modeled for any background and any faith. Um, so it's kind of exciting to have that because I hear all the time the questions, well, when do I tell my child and how do I tell my child? And I really feel like it has to be done in such a way that lets them understand the depth of how this is such a positive for who they are. And I can really see that because she has autism, she is able to have an impact on the world. But then I was able to help her understand that. And um, thankfully it worked. <laughs> like It wouldn't have been much of a book, it wouldn't work. <laughs> but, but she really is confident in who she is. And I love that about her. That's, I mean, I wish I could be as confident in myself as she is in herself, so that I think that's such a cool idea did you just kind of come up with that as a way to to have those discussions with her 
I mean, did you try them when she was younger and just kind of keep adding to it as she aged and was better able to understand that some of the terminology and things that you were using? Or did you just start that when she was like a teenager? Um, I started it when she was about 11 and I just made it into a book. So it did it all at once, but I had, I mean, it had been a, just a collaboration of what the, my thoughts for years. And the most important thing for me to have her understand is how valuable and how she was different, but not less, you know, that is, uh, it's used all the time, but to feel it, she needed to feel it. She needed to own it. And I wanted to do it in an, again, going back and breaking everything down into, okay, how do we build self-confidence? Because I had been working on that for as a girl with her for years. How do I build your self confidence in who you are? I mean, she thinks she is very self confident. Yeah, and I that's awesome. Her, yeah, I feel thankful for that. But that's something we've worked to build because I needed her to know how important she is and how capable she is. Um, and so, just putting that all into a book and sharing it with, and she didn't digest it all at once. And that was another thing to say is she would go back to it. And over this course of a year. And it's not even that long of a book. I would see her sitting with her book and really asking me questions about different parts of it. Okay, now, now I want to talk about this part now, you know, um, and it was like she had to digest it slowly. So that's why I felt it was important to do as a book. Um, and with, we give the template, but also if your child is not going to respond to reading, you can do it through videos and you can make a video, you know, there's all different kinds of ways to do it. But the most important thing is that this is how I did it from my child. You really have to dig deep and go backwards into your child's interests and into where you're at with teaching your child about who they are to be able to do this. So it kind of takes you through the whole process, you know, of being able to do that. Yeah. I could see all kinds of different ways to, um, to alter that, to kind of meet some of, some of the things that they really enjoy. If there's a child who loves music, you know, just putting it, like you said, a video, but putting it to music or kind of linking in the different sounds of music to the parts that are, you know, up tempo for the exciting things and, you know, lower mm -hmm. tempo for some of the things that are a little harder to talk about. I don't know. There could be all kinds of things you could do with it. I love that. I love that idea. And I love that you provide the template for people or will, will provide. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the title, she came up herself because she would always be like, normal is boring. And I'm like, yeah, it is. <laughs> normal is boring. <laughs> we Sounds like a typical teenage response. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That does sound teenager. <laughs> I'm sure she's like a teenager in, in a lot of ways that oh she's my not. Right? <laughs> yeah. Sometimes she gives me sass and I'm like, it's, it's such a weird thing as a parent to a child that has special need. It's like, part of me is just super proud. Like, yeah. Like, yeah. Like, oh yeah. Give me that sass. And then I'm like, okay, now I have to work on parenting that, but I'm so proud that she just <laughs> pulled me off. You know, like, so it's, it's a funny, it's funny. Cause you don't take anything for granted. You know, you take every little thing you get, you're proud of, but you still didn't have to work on parenting it. Cause it's not proper to, yeah. for her to be talking back to her mom, you know? Of course. Well, um, you know, with everything that you have, have done and spearheaded over the years, do you have advice for anyone that's listening that, you know, is thinking, I really want to share my story. I just don't know if I'm a writer. I don't, I don't know if I want to write a book. Um, and I might be hesitant to attend one of these mom events because I'm shy or I just don't know if I feel like talking out loud about my life. Um, do you have any kind of feedback or advice for anyone that's thinking about those things and maybe just kind of sitting back and, and letting time pass? 
Yeah. I mean, I'm going to answer those in two different, because as far as getting involved and coming to the retreat, um, you just need to take the step. Like I'm just going to encourage any and every mom there is, it is scary. It is, it is, especially after being stuck in your house for so long to be brave enough to step out, especially because I would say probably a third of the women coming don't know anyone. And so we're doing a really good job of knowing who those women are and setting them up with someone that's similar. And so we'll like set you up with your roommate. But the main thing is you're not going to ever feel great about it. Just step out in faith and do it. Um, And you're going to, I've never met one person that has come to an event and been like, oh my gosh, I'm so sad I went for that. Like (laughs) every time it's like, this is exactly what I didn't know I needed, you know, and you feel it when you're in the room and there's no way to describe it, but just take a step out and do it. Um, that's my only advice. And then as far as writing or sharing your story, and it doesn't have to be writing. If you're not a writer, I mean, I just write like I talk, so that's all. And I would say, really look back and throughout your journey of what you have gone through and, and pinpoint the hardest thing for you. So pinpoint the hardest thing for you to accept. And like, for me, I hated feeling vulnerable and I hated feeling not in control of my own life. And so from that is where I drew and pulled out what I'm doing for these other women today. I am making sure they are not going to be in a vulnerable place for long because they're going to be with somebody that can help them and that can make them feel less vulnerable. And so whenever you find that one spot, then you can begin to write about either the feelings or what you've done to overcome that. And then you share your story from that pinpoint, um, because that where your deepest hurt is, is where your best, most effective ministry is going to be. I think Rick Warren said that. Um, and when we're are usually what we, our deepest things are is the way we can help others. And that's all that I'm here to do. And, and when you're writing, that's what you're helping. You're not only using it for yourself to help yourself heal, but you'll also be helping others by sharing your story because if you felt it, someone else has felt it and they need to hear the wisdom that you have from being, you know, a few paces down the road. Absolutely. And it doesn't have to be lengthy. It doesn't have to be, I mean, there's just no set any, any rules at all on any of that stuff. Um, Whether you write a blog or a book or journal uh, that nobody reads just to get it off of your chest. And, um, you know, it'll, it'll be so cathartic to just write some of those things down. It's emotional. It's an emotional process to write all of your history with your child, depending on how old they are um, and everything that you've been through, but it's so worth it. And every single story is unique. There are some similarities, but you know, that's, that's the beauty of it. I feel Mm -hmm. like when people read our books, they're like, oh my gosh, I can relate to that. And I can relate to that. But then there are other parts that they can't relate to. And it gives you a different perspective on what your autism life is like versus another family's. And, um, you know, there's just, just, again, so much uniqueness to all of it mm-hmm. that we can bond in that, <laughs> you know, just yeah. in that alone. Well, and one of the neat things that we're doing through Labeled and Loved is we are, we have a blog, but we are doing writer's challenges. And it's really cool because we are looking for people that have a beautiful voice that haven't necessarily been writing and don't have this huge blog or following. We want to, we want to hear from the moms in the trenches. And so we have this really neat opportunity for you to enter and share and maybe get it published. So it's, it's going to be really fun. That's cool. Yeah. I love that. Well, I just appreciate, again, I say it, I feel like every episode, but 
it's just incredible meeting moms who are, you know, out there doing things, changing the world for our kids and for other families and just really bringing a huge spotlight to uh, just the lack of resources we have as far as moms getting together and support for one another and all of those things and, and making it happen. I, I just can't be more thankful and grateful to you for everything that you're doing. And I look so forward to meeting you in April. It's going to be so much fun. I can't wait. Yes, absolutely. Well, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate it. And um, if you haven't yet, check out United in Autism, Finding Strength Inside the Spectrum, Julie's incredible collaborative book um, that's out there. And we'll be looking for Normal is Boring, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Take care. Bye. Bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Living the Sky Life and we'll tune in for the next episode coming soon. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the Living the Sky Life podcast within Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play so you'll receive alerts when new episodes are released. Subscribing is the best way to ensure you don't miss a single episode. If you like what you hear, be sure to select the five-star rating, provide feedback, and share Living the Sky Life with others. Thanks again for listening.